Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZNT Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at KZM Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation, as well as key developments and decisions by supervisory authority. With me today as my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at KZM Privacy Experts. Jamal is an established and comprehensively qualified privacy professional with a demonstrable track record solving enterprise-wide data privacy and data security challenges for SMEs through complex global organizations. To date, he has provided privacy and GDPR compliance solutions to organizations across six continents and in over 30 jurisdictions, helping to safeguard the personal data of over a billion data subjects worldwide. Welcome, Jamal. Hey, Jamila. Good (laughs) afternoon to you. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm super excited for our guest today. This guest, which you'll introduce in a minute, is someone that's been inspiring me on across LinkedIn and across all of the different places where you hear her speak. I think one of the questions I'm going to have is, where do you actually get the energy from? Because uh, (laughs) I'm mesmerized. So uh, without further ado, would you like to introduce our diva for today? Yes, uh, our guest today is Debbie Reynolds, aka the Data Diva. She is a world-renowned technologist, thought leader and advisor handling global data privacy, cyber data risk and complex cross-functional data-driven projects. Ms. Reynolds is an internationally published author, highly sought speaker and top media presence about global data privacy, data protection and emerging technology issues. Ms. Reynolds has been named to the top 10 global data privacy experts by Martech Vibe 2021, the global top 30 cyber risk communicators by the European Risk Policy Institute 2021, recognized as one of the stellar women who know cyber by Cybersecurity Ventures in 2021, and honored as an American Bar Association Women in Legal Technology in 2022. Ms. Reynolds also produced the worldwide number one data privacy podcast in 2021 called the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast. Welcome, Debbie. We're really excited to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and I really appreciate the invitation. Very excited and I'm a little bit nervous having a podcast host on our podcast, but this will be lots of fun. I think it's amazing. I've been waiting for a long time to do a podcast uh, with, with Debbie and I'm so happy she's managed to make the time to join us. Uh, Debbie, first question is, what inspires you? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, thank you both for having me on the show. I really enjoy it and I love your content always. So it's a pleasure to be here. The thing that inspires me, I think it's my own, maybe selfish, my own personal interest in privacy. So I 
got interested in privacy based on a book that I read in the 1990s called The Right to Privacy. And the book is a U.S. written book. And I think Caroline Kennedy was one of the co-authors. And this book was about privacy rights in the U.S., uh, kind of legal privacy rights. And for me, it was a book my mother was reading. And she was fascinated by this issue. And it got me really interested. And so what I didn't know and understand at the time is that in the U.S., we think, oh, we have all this freedom. It's the land of the free home of the brave. But privacy really isn't articulated in our laws at a constitutional level. So it was just interesting, the use cases that they talked about, about what was private and what wasn't. And so over the years, I've kind of followed that and followed, you know, I'm a technologist, so followed technology and all the different gaps and things that are in, you know, legislation or regulation and also how you know, juxtaposing that to how technology is developing and how people are using it. So I'm I'm very fascinated with technology and very fascinated with how these laws have developed over many years. And, you know, I was just fortunate enough to be able to create a business from it. Wow, that's amazing. So you came across this book in the 1990s, a book your mother was reading and she shared with you, and you got so passionate about what you were reading and how it actually applied that you've managed to build a successful career and a lifestyle out of your passion. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I really love it. I help businesses be able to navigate uh, these business issues. I'm very passionate about rights of humans in terms of being able to protect their privacy. So being able to help businesses navigate that, you know, something I'm really passionate about. Fantastic. Now, Jamila, I know this is going to lead on to the icebreaker question that you usually yeah, ask you before in. I jump in. I'm also excited to talk to you. You disregarded my question order. Go on, Jamila. Well, well, we were just talking about books. So uh, what was the last book you read, Debbie? Oh, wow. Oh, God, I have to really think about that. I read a book by, I think his name is Eric Baker. He wrote a famous book. Oh, Lord, I can't even remember the name of it right now. He's like a Harvard researcher. and He writes books that, you know, has a lot of statistics. And he tries to break down like myths versus kind of statistics and like the conventional wisdom. So I like books like that, like, you know, Freakonomics and yeah. uh, things where they're talking about statistics and, and juxtaposing them to kind of real life situations. Do you think if you weren't in data privacy, you'd be a statistician? I would struggle with that word. Maybe. I love statistics. <laughs> I have uh, The Economist. I don't know. They still do it, but they used to have a book of statistics that came out every year. And my friends yeah. would always give me the book. <laughs> they knew that I loved it. <laughs> Jamal, what was the last book you read? The last book I read, I was actually thinking that's coming up, is it was actually a marketing book, which uh, I don't have here on my shelf right now. But it was all about the tipping point. Uh, it's not the book on the tipping point. It's a marketing book about the tipping point. I can't remember the name of it. But when I find, if I find it, I'll share it with you, Jamila. But it was really okay. good book. And it really talks about perseverance and how we just must be consistent in our efforts. We must keep an eye on the goal and we shouldn't give up at any cost. And as long as you do one thing a day towards your goal, then you're on the right track. And that actually brings me into a nice question I have for you, Debbie, is whenever on your LinkedIn, whenever I see you to speak, you always have this energy and you're always going at 100 miles per hour, or it looks like you're going at 100 miles per hour. How is it that you find the energy to keep going and what drives this fierce passion that you have? Yeah, I have a passion for learning. You know, I'm just 
extremely curious. I do tons of research just on my own. I have done it. You know, I'm a geek. So when no one cared about privacy, I was researching and reading and, you know, I read lots of journals and studies and stuff like that and have an extensive reading list. And for me, it's, you know, it it seems like I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I put a lot of content out, but I do a lot of content in batches. uh, And then I sort of put it out on a regular schedule. But, you know, you have to have energy to be able to communicate this. Uh, If I wasn't interested in it, I don't think it would come across as well. (laughs) So I try to make it interesting. I try to make it actionable because I want people to have something that they can implement or learn from and use right away. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I I really love is the Data Diva Talks, your podcast. And that's the podcast that was ranked uh, by Jeff Jokic as the number one data privacy podcast worldwide in 2021. And Jamila wants to know who's been your favorite guest so far on that and why? Oh, wow. Wow. That's a hard question. Probably my favorite guest, her name is uh, Karen Bright. She is uh, from an organization called Understanding Identity, and she's her and I work together uh, with an organization in the UK called Women in Identity. And the reason why she's probably my favorite guest is because she's not a privacy person. Uh, so I think if you're constantly all talking to privacy people, you it's kind of the same conversation. So for me, being able to talk to someone who wasn't in privacy was so much fun and she brought such a human element to it. You know, she talked about people who are underrepresented, you know, just real life stuff. I was going to ask who is your least favorite guest, but I don't think we should get into that. We, we can't ask that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Debbie, for people who are listening, uh, clearly they love listening to podcasts and if they're into data privacy, they're going to get so much value from listening to your podcast as well. How can they find your podcast and um, what platforms can they access it on? Yeah. So you can always go to my website, DebbieReynoldsConsulting.com. And I have a podcast page and has all my podcasts on there. Also, the podcast is on I don't know, 15 or 20, all the major podcast directories. So it's on iTunes, on Spotify, you know, Amazon, Alexa, everything. So just type in uh, the Data Diva Talks Privacy podcast and it should pop up on any directory. All right, great. So we've got the Data Diva Talks on any platform you enjoy listening. Make sure once you finish this episode, you go right down and you subscribe and you listen and you really get the value and the benefit from listening to Debbie's podcast as well. Um, Jamila, over to you. I was also looking, Debbie, at some of the other talks you've done and I was looking at your piece on drones and data privacy, which I thought was really interesting, kind of the new ways that data privacy is having to develop around technology as technology kind of develops so what advice would you give to privacy professionals about how to stay relevant in the field with so much new kind of new thing new challenges I guess around privacy coming out every single day yeah well my best advice to people who want to stay ahead and stay current is to watch the technology and not necessarily the regulation so The regulations are reactive, mostly. Uh, So like something happens and this regulation comes out. But if you're looking at the technology as it's emerging and and think about what the privacy implications may be, it'll help you be prepared for when you have a situation where you have to think about 
you know, drones or, you know, different emerging technologies. So definitely look at the technology. You know, people who are developing technology, unfortunately, aren't typically thinking about privacy uh, or don't have privacy in mind. So, you know, we just have to be more vigilant in terms of looking out there, you know, when a new phone comes out or a new wacky technology comes out, you're like, oh my goodness, that could be bad. Or, or you know, here are the privacy implications I think will will come up there. So that'll, for me, that's helped me a lot. So people are like, oh, how did you guess? It's like, well, I looked at this thing that came out and I thought, oh, you know, this could be an issue. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I, I, and with the drones, it's something I've never, obviously I've seen them a lot. And, you know, I've got friends that use drones for photography purposes, but I've never thought of the privacy kind of implications of it. It's really interesting. It is, it is super interesting. And the top tip there from Debbie is basically, when the technology comes out, have a look at the technology, but have your privacy cap or have your privacy lens on, and that should help you to really identify what could potentially go wrong and how we can counteract against that. And just because these technology companies or these engineers are developing things doesn't necessarily mean that they've been doing it with privacy in mind and following the actual mm-hmm. privacy by design and default that we'd love to see. And one of the things that we teach at the Privacy Pros Academy is the actual official IPP certified CIPT program, which is specifically for privacy technologists. And it talks about privacy engineering, and it really looks at understanding what some of those risks are at the beginning before we even start designing anything and how the engineering of that can actually be focused, thinking of all of the different privacy harms. And it's, it's really fascinating course that I love teaching all of the time. And for anyone that's interested in technology and how that relates to privacy, I would recommend you definitely have a look at the course content for that. Debbie, how important are certifications and uh, how important is it to constantly invest in your own professional development to really do well in the industry as a privacy professional? Yeah, I think it is always good, regardless of how you decide to invest your continuing education. It's important that you have that. So uh, privacy is not a static issue as these new emerging technologies come out. It changes every day. There are new laws and regulations. I think this is a very exciting time to be in privacy. And I think, especially from a regulation perspective, you know, I know people who are in certain areas of law that don't change a lot. You know, they may not change in 10 or 20 years where, you know, there it seems like every day is like a new law or new regulation that you have to think about. So I think being able to find ways to, you know, find some some ways that you can develop professionally, whether it be certifications or classes or reading, uh, definitely reading, uh, reading in some way. And if you feel, feel compelled to do certifications by, you know, I think that's a good idea as well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So the key message there is keep reading, keep learning, and keep absorbing like a sponge. And doesn't matter which method you choose or how you choose to develop yourself, just make sure that you are always soaking in that information in whichever format you prefer. Correct. And I know you know, Jamal, if you talk to someone within a minute or so, you can tell whether they know what they're talking about. <laughs> So it's not not hard to figure out you know, who has the goods or who doesn't. So it's great to have those conversations with people. Absolutely. And, and just speaking about drones, it just reminds me, actually, two stories. The first story is a family member actually uh, booked a venue to get married at. And one of the strange things that they were told at the time of booking was you can't use any drones to capture your big day because our neighbors complain. 
And I was like, you know, that's that's super interesting because I'm sure the people who are trying to enjoy a Sunday afternoon, typically when Asian weddings happen here in the UK, um, they're probably out and about in their garden. And the last thing they want is drones coming in and capturing that private time that they're trying to enjoy with their family life. And the second thing is actually during lockdown, a lot of the enforcement and detection of people breaching those regulations was carried out by drones here in the UK. Did you guys have anything like that in the US? The, uh, we didn't that I am aware of, but I know that there are a lot of countries that actually did use drones for enforcement. So sending messages, making photographs of people who weren't compliant, trying to clear certain areas. Definitely something I think is going to be on the rise. I haven't seen it here yet, uh, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. <laughs> yes. You mentioned the, the U.S. a bit there, Debbie. Where do you think the U.S. is going in terms of data privacy? Is there things that are being introduced at a federal level or is it still quite kind of states decide what they want to do? It's very timely conversation. Uh, there's kind of this battle. It's not really a battle. It's, it's talk mostly about what people want to do about privacy either on the state or federal level. But mm-hmm. in terms of what's actually occurred up to this point, the states have been tremendously active on privacy in different states in the U.S. And I think that that's going to continue. There's proposal now at a federal level, and there have been many different proposals that have been tried and nothing happened. We're going to see what's going to happen with this current proposal. A lot of people like me are sort of doubtful that this is going to go anywhere, mostly because it was introduced, you know, at the last minute in a in an election year. So I don't know how, you know, there aren't very many legislative days left. You know, maybe it'll pass, maybe not. But I I still feel deeply that, you know, the states seem to have taken a better approach to privacy where, you know, the states who are really interested in it, they've kind of worked with it over time and tried to build up privacy where I think it's almost impossible to do it where you just kind of come up with something and hope it passes (laughs) at the last minute. You know, it takes time to develop this. It takes time to get agreement on all this stuff. So these things don't you know, they don't happen overnight. So I think, you know, slow and steady wins the race as opposed to trying to make a sprint or a mad dash to the finish line. Do, do you think that there is a need for something at a, fe- at a federal level uh, as opposed to just state by state? Yes, I do think there is a need. I think the, the two things in the U.S. that have hampered federal level uh, privacy re- legislation, mm-hmm. in my view, have been the notion that the federal law will preempt what's happening at the state level. And it's been a lot that's happened at the state level. And mm-hmm. then uh, corporations and companies, they don't want to see a federal privacy law that uh, has a private right of action, meaning that people can sue as a result of any particular harm. So, you know, those are the two key sticking points. So in my view, in order to get something on a federal level, it would have to be like super thin, like very watered down to get everyone to agree. And I almost feel like they should, you know, for a first pass, they should probably take out private right of action and preemption completely and maybe focus on harmonizing the definitions and, and the, the the notification periods and the requirements of, you know, across the federal level. Yeah, and I think a lot of people from different parts of the world outside of the U.S. actually fail to appreciate how much of a political challenge 
it can be bringing this privacy law. It's not that people are saying, hey, we don't care about privacy and we don't want privacy legislation. It's yes, we do, but getting the political uh, players to all agree to something, that's the real challenge, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So, as you know, as you can see, things are very divided here. It's not a lot of agreement on stuff uh, historically over the last, I would say, 10 years or so. Congress hasn't passed very many laws or bills. So, uh, you know, it's hard to get that type of agreement. And, and to do these huge omnibus bills in the U.S. is just extremely hard to do. That's why I feel like, you know, the states have taken over. Because it's easier to pass these laws at a state by state level as opposed to at a federal level. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, in the UK, we've recently had the government make some proposals. Actually, they made some proposals in uh, September 2021, and we recently had the Queen's speech where she said there's going to be a data reformers bill, and we've seen that public earlier this, this this month. Have you had a chance to look at that? What are your immediate thoughts? I've glanced at it. I'm a bit concerned about this. I think, you know, it took so long for the UK to get adequacy from the EU after Brexit. And I was breathing a sigh of relief, uh, especially because I'm hoping to see more harmonization with these regulations and not like a lot of different ones, even though, you know, obviously post-Brexit, the UK can do whatever they want, right? But I think being able to get people on board with the laws as they stand now is probably the best solution as opposed to trying to change it once people get used to it in a certain way. So I think, you know, proposals that change fundamental things that maybe make it harder um, for the, the UK to comply with other jurisdictions, especially, you know, you, you share a land border with the EU. So I think, you know, having more harmonization there would, would, would create less uncertainty, I think, uh, for people and, and less confusion in a way. The ironic thing is the UK are calling it data a new direction. For me, it's data of the wrong direction, because on the one hand, we <laughs> see countries, states all over the world, and, and even um, individuals all over the world, moving in one direction, which is towards a more pro-privacy, more comprehensive GDPR type approach. And on the other hand, you've got the UK here saying, hey, we didn't get any benefits from Brexit, so we're going to try this, and uh, we're going to say, look, we're not going to care about GDPR. We're going to wash down everybody's rights. We're going to wash down all of the responsibilities. We're going to say you can send data wherever you want to do it. We don't really care about that. And that's going to increase business for the UK. But what they failed to think about is actually, if we do do that, how, how long is it going to take for the EU to say the UK is no longer adequate? And how much is that actually going to cost the UK economy? And I don't think the politicians that we have here have actually thought about that. And the other challenge I see is what they're saying is that the regulator that we have, the Information Commissioner's Office here, they're saying that there should be more of a political influence on who sits and the kind of decisions they make. And for me, I see fundamental problems with the rule of law and the separation of powers here, and I see it becoming very convoluted. And I'm actually very worried about the future of privacy rights within the uh, UK. Because if you look at the Council of Europe and if you look at the European Commission of Human Rights, the rights that we signed up for post the atrocities that we saw after World War II, 
It was there to make sure that none of those atrocities happened again. And we've had guests like Lydia come onto this podcast. They, they flee countries because they value their freedom, their right to privacy. And where the UK is trying to take us, I'm, I'm very concerned about these very dangerous territories that we're going down. And I, I genuinely am concerned about future generations and what this government is going to do by ripping out people's rights. As somebody outside of the UK looking in, what are your thoughts on where the UK is going politically right now? Yeah, I'm concerned. Very concerned. Uh, as you say, the world is moving towards more rights, not less. You know, and I think people, in my view, if people want to do business in the UK, they're going to, you know, follow the rules. So I don't think it's stopping anyone from doing business with the UK. In my opinion, I don't think it's really stopping companies from doing business in Europe. So I don't see that as being an impediment for business. I hope it doesn't make the UK kind of a safe haven for people who don't want to care about privacy. You know, I think at some point the, the UK is in a very unique situation where you're sort of in the middle. So, you know, you obviously have very deep ties to the US and we don't have as uh, uh, deep of a framework around privacy at a federal level that, you know, the UK has or, you know, the EU has. And, you know, you built that over you know, decades, right? So trying to make that huge change and shift and, and in, a, in a time when everyone's going in the opposite direction, I think is problematic. And I guess I have the same feeling that I did about Brexit in a way, because a lot of the issues that companies had with Brexit wasn't about whether they should leave, you know, the EU or not. It was creating uncertainty. So the uncertainty, I feel, was like the most probably, you know, you tell me whether you think I'm wrong. But from my perspective, it was probably the one of the most damaging things that happened with the UK because people who wanted to invest weren't sure whether they should do it or not. So I think when, when the adequacy thing came around, people, even though whether people like the GDPR or not, they breathe a sigh of relief because they're like, OK, well, you know, if everything's gone to hell in other countries, at least we have an idea. You know, we know generally what the framework is in, in Europe and how, you know, even countries like Switzerland who aren't in the EU, you know, there are a lot of similarities to your laws, right? So making the UK more dissimilar than other countries uh, in Europe, I think is could be a problem with investment because people aren't sure what direction they're going in. I think I completely agree with you that it actually makes no sense. And uh, it's definitely moving the wrong direction. Jamila, you are very passionate about giving back. You're very passionate about people's rights. You are always helping the people who I feel are maybe a little bit more vulnerable in society. What's your take on all this? Where I've seen kind of people's rights kind of being exploited, because I do a lot of work, obviously, in mental health, and that's kind of my thing. And I think people are having to give away sensitive health information, particularly in regards to their mental health. And it's particularly having an effect on people of color, especially who, when they give away that information, they're expecting that information to be safe. They're being then referred to prevent or they're being referred to the police at higher rates than the white population. They're being seen as 
unstable they're being seen as a risk when what they really need is help because they're vulnerable rather than interference by the police or you know police shouldn't be responding to mental illness that's right. not their job that's not kind of and i know i've gone off on a little bit of a tangent but um jamal right <laughs> no um thank you for sharing that Jim. It's, it's always fascinating to get that insight from you because you're right it's it, that shouldn't be happening when someone's got medical information and just because they assume have uh certain traits or they're from another part of the world or they have mm-hmm. different uh, ethnic origin why should they then be referred to the police and you also mentioned prevent and um, for people who don't know what prevent is do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that so prevent is a program which was designed to focus on extremism it encourages people like teachers doctors um, anyone in kind of a position of responsibility to refer someone who they think is at risk of extremism and it's supposed to be you know all kinds of extremism but we found that it unfairly targets muslims so for example there was i think a 3 year old boy in nursery school who was trying to write the word cucumber and wrote cooker bomb and he was referred him and his family were referred to prevent which means social services were involved uh, and all these kind of things were involved and it's just ridiculous um and when wow. it comes to mental health and people being referred to prevent because of their mental health or even being referred to the police when it's not a life or death situation when you know it's very different when there's you know what what we what you always have to say is look we will contact someone if I think you know there's a risk to your safety or other people's safety but when it's just people disclosing you know that they've got a mental illness it's not really fair that the police then are called yeah, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm just going back to this Prevent program. So it's for, for everyone listening who's not familiar with Prevent, it's largely seen by the general public as a very racist uh, policy and a program that was introduced by the government and is unfairly uh, picking on a certain minority. And the other thing with this program is that I remember there was one incident where there was a child in a school who happened to be from a Bain background, and he drew some pictures of his houses, and he wrote, I live in a terraced house. But he, the guy didn't know how to spell terrorist, and I think he ended up spelling, I live in a terrorist house. or ter- it's, it's the, close, the word was close to terrorist, and he was reported to prevent, and they had, the, uh, they had law enforcement interfering with that whole family and monitoring them just because of a picture a child drew at school and got the word terrorist wrong. I wrote terrorist instead. Like you can't, you can't make this stuff up, can you? It's it's crazy. I mean, we're having that as well in in the U.S. And you know, I'm concerned about AI and data collection and people having computers or having technology systems uh, compound the type of harm uh, that can happen to people. So having those that bias and that discrimination in systems that work, you know a hundred or a million times faster than things that we use today, I think it's very concerning. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with you more, Debbie. Now, let's change the level of energy because it's gone a little bit down. Let's pick it back up. <laughs> Debbie, you were recognized as one of the women who know cyber, stellar women in cybersecurity. How can we encourage more women to get into what is typically a male-dominated field? Yeah. I think we all have, I hope we all have an interest in our own protection of data. So I think 
you know, women should, you know, seek out those careers, seek out mentors. You know, I've, some of my best mentors have been men. So I think being able to find mentors, find people, people on LinkedIn, I think it's important to be able to research. And plus, cyber is such a huge domain. I mean, it's so many different areas of cyber. I feel like cyber is very misunderstood where I think when you're, for example, if someone tells you a doctor, you don't you don't assume that they know everything about medicine. Right. You say, oh, what type of doctor are you? So for some reason, with cyber and even privacy, they think, you know, everything about cyber. And there are so many different areas. So I think people, they're interested in those careers. Find a domain within cyber, even privacy, that interests you the most and is specialized there. Do you think that there's a need for women, especially to be getting involved in technology subjects more broadly at a younger age so that they're on the right career paths? Absolutely. I think, you know, kids now, I saw a a kid looking at a, a phone and going through a Netflix menu at like four or five years old. And like, they found stuff that I wouldn't be able to find as an adult. So (laughs) I think that, you know, because so much of what we deal with is digital, I think that Mm -hmm. that's going to move more people into that area where, you know, when I started my technology career, I mean, this is before people had email, this is before people had computers at work. I mean, it's just banana. So you have to make a conscious choice that you wanted to do that. And, you know, it, there weren't a lot of avenues, but I think now the way the internet is, there's so much, so many resources that people can go out and learn and figure out, you know, what they want to do. And there isn't, you know, it's not a one size fit all type of thing. So there are just many different domains. We need many people, many women, people of color uh, in technology fields. Absolutely. And Debbie, you mentioned a little bit about your career there. What's some of the biggest challenges you faced breaking into the data privacy? And how have you overcome those? I don't know if I had, I don't think I had a challenge to break in because no one was in, right? (laughs) So I had to break in. You led the way. Yeah, I just kind of started. um, Pioneered it, yeah. When when people got interested in it, I knew, you know, I had corporations that knew me from other work. People mm-hmm. call me up, like really big companies, like I think McDonald's Corporation called me and I talked to their, uh, I teach a lot of lawyers about data. <laughs> it was kind of like developing around me in some ways. So I didn't really have to break in, but I think now someone, I think that the privacy has become its own domain. And I think people who want to break in, is still early yet. So still kind of new in terms of, in my view, like an established discipline that people go into because, you know, there weren't, there are now colleges trying to teach degrees in this and that wasn't the case before. So I think being able to, at this point, stay aware, um, you know, things are still developing. You have to keep your knowledge fresh about what's happening in the world and just read a lot, I would say. So I think that those are really important things to do. I think that's been the recurring message you've been giving throughout this podcast and all the other places you speak is you're always talking about how we should always be making sure that we're in the know and by keep constantly reading and reading and learning and absorbing that information. Um, So that's, I guess that's one of your top tips for success is make sure that you're always 
up to date in a way, and you can do that by reading and soaking up all of the different things like a sponge. Yeah, and figure out, you know, I think even though we're all, we have interest in privacy, we don't do exactly the same things, right? So we can definitely support each other and, and things like that. You've done a lot with your community building, Jamal, I think is really important. But, you know, I think the people who really interest me are the ones who figure out how to specialize, like how to take something that they already know and add it into privacy. So like I'm a technologist and then I also have a privacy. So that makes me a bit different than other people. So I think if you have a natural interest in any kind of data field and you can add privacy to it, it'll just make you that much more unique. Got it. So what you're saying is find something that you're super interested or passionate about and then see how that intersects with privacy. And that would really help you to stand out from the competition and really build a brand for yourself and lead the way in that specific domain where you found that intersection. Absolutely. And that's, Absolutely. A super, that's a super top tip. And I think anyone that's listening needs to, needs to send you some rewards for that because that is priceless. <laughs> that is like the secret to any one who really wants to lead the way or pioneer the way in an industry is find something that you're super passionate about and then see how that intersects with something that is actually a big business problem and you mm-hmm. can only do really well going from there. Yeah, privacy touches everything. Uh, data touches everything. So we need more people. I want to see more people in privacy to come from these other domains that you would never even think about, right? I want to see more people in banking, you know, finance, business, intelligence, you know, all that. I want to see all those people in privacy. Debbie, what do you look for when you're hiring in the industry? Or what do you think hiring managers are looking for when they're hiring in privacy? I personally look for people who are really passionate, truly are interested in it, because it's not the most sexy topic. It can be very boring at times. So if you don't have a natural interest, it'd be hard for you to to stay sort of alert and aware. And then for me, the most important thing is curiosity. So, you know, are you curious about, you know, what's happening in the world? Are you curious about these regulations? Or do you have a self, you know, interest in it? You know, I think that curiosity really drives people. So, you know, even... Jamal and his work, you know, I know that you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing if you didn't have a passion for it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that curiosity really starts off with the quality of the questions you ask, the quality of the questions you ask yourself. And one of my mentors taught me that the more powerful the questions you ask yourself and the more curious you get, the better you're going to show up in the world and the better you're going to get an opportunity to serve. And that, that's really what it's about ultimately at the end of the day is getting curious about how you can come up, show up better and how you can serve better and how you can make a real difference. Exactly. I agree. Last question for you, Debbie. What is your most memorable client story? You can share that we don't have to edit out. Yeah, this is interesting. A company was developing technology around COVID stuff. So they wanted to be able to sanitize rooms with machines that were in schools or whatever. And one of the developers, he's like, yeah, we should, you know, we should put this UV uh, thing at the doorways and like zap people with UV when they walk in. And I'm like, you can't zap people <laughs> with UV rat kids. Okay, in school, you can't zap people when they walk in. You know, I was like, no, it just doesn't. You know, he, I can see where he was going. He was trying to be helpful, but I'm like, no, you can't do that. 
I was like, yes, you said you could do room sanitation, yes, but not people <laughs> sanitation. No. no. Oh, yeah. Sanitation oh. of entry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like think, a fly. You get zapped when you get in a room or something. I think we're going to look back in, you know, 15 years and be like, COVID was a strange time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, everything just ran together and got crazy. But yeah. yeah, he was really excited. He was not happy when I told him he can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that 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 made us laugh. And that's a great way um, to end the podcast. And um, thank you so much, Debbie. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. I, I really love your show and keep up the great work. Thank you, Debbie. And I'm so grateful that we got the chance to have a conversation. I look forward to having more interesting conversations with you in the community. Absolutely. Happy to be here. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast, or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.